Well, hey, good morning, Grumlaw. So glad to be here. Uh, like Shay said, my name is Philip, and I want to acknowledge something in the front. And so it might be, there's probably a few of you who are wondering, this guy looks really familiar. Uh, and so I thought I'd just tell you straight up, I was in a movie. Uh, it came out in 2012. It's about a movie called Up. Why don't you take a look at this? I mean... <laughs> That was me uh, based on my life. So yeah, you can put that down. Uh, no, of a whole life I've been considered up, you know, ever since that movie came out. But uh, as, you know, Shay said, hey, I serve over at Mile City Church and we have a location in South Lyon that I lead and I'm so honored to be here uh, at Grumlaw. Um, I, you know, my wife and I, we are going to plan a church here in about a year and a half. And so we learn a lot from you, Grumlaw. We learn a lot of what you guys are doing. Um, and so we are honored to be able to like call Shay and Andrea at any time and ask them. Probably get annoyed when I ask them so many questions about church planning, uh, but it's awesome to learn from them and learn from the team. And so we do want to say we, you guys have a great church. Uh, we, we do love Grumlaw and we're honored to be here. So thanks for that. And so well, enough gushy stuff and let's get to it. And so we've been in a series uh, called How to Neighbor. Uh, you know, this is based on the idea uh, when Jesus, a man walks up to Jesus and, and a man says, Jesus, I understand that there are 600 uh, rules and laws in the Old Testament that I need to follow. Which is the greatest of all those 600? And, and Jesus says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And ever since Jesus uttered those words, love your neighbor, we've been trying to figure out what does that look like? How do we love our neighbors? How? We, we may know the who our neighbors are, but we want to know how do we love them. And so this series, we've been walking through that. Uh, we talked about racism the first week. Uh, we talked about embracing the orphan. And then last week, empowering the poor. And today, we're going to be talking about loving the lonely. We're talking about loneliness. When we think about loneliness and we think about lonely, who in your mind, when you think about the idea of being lonely, who, who comes to mind? Maybe for some of us, you're like, not me. Maybe like a lot of other people. Or maybe you think of the widower, or you think of somebody who's in a hospital bed all by themselves. Well, my hope is today that I want to, you know, kind of help us rethink this through. When I talk about loneliness, who are we talking about? And, and I want to be clear up front, I'm not talking about being alone, because philosophers choose to be alone. People choose to be alone when they go on hikes by themselves, and they decide to go do that. Uh, this week I decided to go hiking and I went to a, a little trail by my house and it was like two miles later, 45 minutes later, I'm calling my wife going, I don't know where I am. Why did I do this? And I'm alone. And so I chose that path by myself. Uh, I'm not talking about being alone. Rather, I'm talking about being lonely. You can be in a crowded room, but still feel lonely. Think about being in an airport, right? Being in an airport surrounded by tons of people, but then you still feel lonely. Uh, you, you might have a job where you interact with tons of people, interact with people. You might have people who work right next to you, but you feel like no one really knows you, no one that you really trusts you. It's this idea of loneliness. And in this term of loneliness, there's a, there's a new term rising up that I thought was, it was huge for me to learn, and I want to share it with you, and that's this term, relational poverty. Relational poverty. We all know what material poverty it is. Material poverty is lacking the, the essentials to get through the daily essentials. But relational poverty is what we're talking about. And relational poverty is this. It's lacking the intimacy and the connections to live a meaningful life. Relational poverty is, is lacking the intimacy and the connections to live a meaningful life. 
Studies show that two out of five people struggle with loneliness. Two out of five people. It's a lot of people. We think about it, that 40% of people struggle with loneliness. This idea of relational poverty. And so I began to study and prepare. Why is this on the rise? Why do we see relational poverty such a huge thing today? Well, there are a few, a few things that come to mind. The first one is this, simply the, the breakdown of families. The breakdown of families. We see this all the time, and you might have experienced this yourself. If this room was a marriage, and let's just say this middle line was divorce, and, and so when we split the room in half, we say, okay, you get the kids, but you get the church. Or, hey, you get the kids, but I get all the neighbors and the connections and the friends. And there's this divide, and so because of that, because connections are split, relationships are split, this breakdown of families, relational poverty, a lacking of intimacy and connections begin to arise. Not only the breakdown of families, but we also see the increased mobility. Increased mobility, it's a a blessing and a curse at the same time. For many of us, we're excited about increased mobility, right? Like my my family uh, lives in Texas. And so what's awesome is that I can get on a flight and spend three and a half hours on a flight and fly down and see my family that quick. I can do it in one day rather than doing like the 22-hour drive with the baby. I would not want to do that. So I can just do the three-hour flight, right? Like it's a blessing. But then there's also a curse with it because the problem is I don't see those same relationships often. My wife and I moved into a brand new neighborhood and we, I met one of my neighbors, his name is Mark. And Mark has lived in my neighborhood since 1970s. And Mark told me that, hey, you know what? I've had a new neighbor every one to two years. He's like, no one stayed the same. And so he's like, I'll probably see, you know, you'll probably leave in a year too. I was like, whoa, man, like I hope to stay longer. But th- this idea that people move constantly, think about our jobs, our jobs may move us, whether for a good thing or they ask us to move. And because of that, we tend to not invest as much. We know, oh, I'm going to leave here in a little bit, or this job is like a launching pad for my next job. So I don't really want to build too much relationships or too many connections. Then they'll know the real me. I don't know if I want to do that as much. And so like we, we, we fall into that. And because of that, we experience relational poverty. Not only increased mobility, but what about the heavy workloads? Right? One of my favorite uh, questions to ask people is, how are you doing? Because my, I know they're going to respond, busy, right? Like everybody, like, how you doing? Busy. Man, how, what are you doing this weekend? Woo, it's a busy weekend. We got to do this, 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 this. And we start listing off all the things that we have to do. I think busy, our jobs create heavy workloads. You know, I have a guy that I mentor and he works 70 hours a week. And he's like, I'm working 70 hours a week, man. I'm just trying to make it. And he's going, going, going. And so this heavy workload, because of that, he, he's like, man, I don't know where my community is. I don't know who this is. And so he's constantly working. I think parents in the room, we kind of experience this the most too, right? Like we're excited that school's about to kick back up because we're like, freedom, get the kids out of the house. Uh, but on the other side, we also remember that, oh man, all the schedules that they have to go to. Okay, I got to wake them up early. got to feed them. Then I got to get them to school. And then when they're at school, I got to go do my errands or maybe I go to work. And then I got to go pick them up. And then they have sports practice. I got to bring them to sports practice, make sure they're fed, make sure they do that, bring them home, make sure that they do their homework. That's going on. You make dinner, you eat dinner. You, then all of a sudden you put the kids down and then your spouse is like, hey. And you're like, no, I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm going to bed, right? It's busy. I mean, that just alone makes me tired just saying all that. It's because of the heavy workloads, the connections or the intimacy that we strive to have to live a meaningful life is there. 
We, we, we miss those things out. And then this last one is simply the rise of social media. With all of its blessings in social media, it tends to show us that we are actually more disconnected than we are connected. We can have over, I think Facebook's limit is 5,000 friends. So we can have 5,000 friends and then, you know, Instagram, you can have millions of followers and you go, oh, I have 2,000 followers. And they're like, cool, how many of those do you really know? Oh, about 20. And we're like, the connections aren't really there. I think it's also because we can portray a false self of ourselves on Instagram or on Facebook. I can just post whatever photo I want and I can just show the best photo after I spent like 30 minutes like cropping it, making sure it's perfectly like the right filter, the third filter on Instagram, like hi-fi, lo-fi, like I gotta put that on there. Okay, then it's good, but no one saw the other 30 photos it took to get this right photo. Like, oh, this way, this way, this way. And because I'm spending all that time, I'm missing out on connection. Relational poverty, I think it's, it's constantly on the rise, and we're seeing this over and over again, people who struggle with, with this idea they're missing relationships. And I think if we're honest, some of us here this morning, maybe we're struggling with that too. So two out of five people struggle with loneliness, and maybe this morning, some of us, if we were honest, we're like, man, like, yeah, I'm there. And the reason why we come here is because it's a, a moment that we have community. And so in light of that, there's so many people around us that struggle with this. How do we extend out? How do we love those who are lonely? What might it look like if we were to to take into action to love our neighbor and love those, especially the lonely, what would that look like? Well, today I have three just simple practical steps that I think that we can easily apply. And when we do so, we'll begin to love those around us. So before we dive in and look at this truth, let me just pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that you are present here in this moment, and Lord, you are speaking to us. And so Lord, with a topic like this, I know it affects each of us differently. And so Lord, as we dive into your truth and see how Jesus loved the lonely, let us take some practical steps some practical truths that we can apply in our own life today. Not that we can apply in in a a month or a year or later, but Lord, today, give us some truths. We know you're speaking, let us hear. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how do we love the lonely? Well, the first way is this, that we love with touch. Now before you all freak out on me and like, whoa, I'm not a hugger, do not hug me. Like, right, you may not be Danny from Full House, you know, that just like, give me a big hug. You know, like maybe that's not you. Uh, Here's what I mean by love with touch. I'm meaning love by human connection with this focus on touch. Jesus showed us this. Jesus is one of the best examples that when we read God's word, we can see, man, like, we remember the old phrase, what would Jesus do? We want to look at Jesus and say, okay, you're the prime example. How did you love people who are lonely? And one of the ways he did this, there's a powerful story of where he loved someone with touch, and, and we see that in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, a man is walking, and he sees Jesus. And he sees Jesus and he comes up to Jesus and here's kind of what happened. Matthew chapter eight, verse two, it says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's interesting to note that two things from this. First, the man didn't doubt that Jesus could heal him. 
There was no doubt that, man, he's like, Jesus, you have the power to heal me. I know that. He was simply saying, if, it's, if you want to, if you will, if you choose to, you can make me clean. So he comes before Jesus kneeling and asking. And I think it's important for us to know what kind of man this was. It says that he was a, a leper. A leper is a man who, who has leprosy. And leprosy is not a, a common a disease that we experience here in the 21st century. And so I, I thought, what, to help us understand what kind of disease this is, uh, I, I want to read this for us. I'm not going to show you any pictures because it would be pretty graphic. But here's what leprosy is. Leprosy, it starts with muscle aches, joint pain, and fatigue. The muscle and fatigue will move to scaly rashes on the skin, which then become lump, lumps filled with pus. Then the, the disease moves to their vocal cords, and the vocal cords begin to change and literally the sound of that person's voice begins to alter. Then the structure of that person's face begins to contort. Their cheekbones get really inflamed and they don't look like a person anymore. People with this disease only live for two to three years after having it. Why do I tell you that? Because I want you to get an image of the man who comes before Jesus, kneels down, and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And here's what Jesus does. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, so be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, for some of us, we wouldn't realize how powerful that is. We're like, that's Jesus, he should, yeah, he should heal him, that's Jesus. I love how Jesus healed the man. Jesus reached out and he touched the man and healed him. And here's why that is powerful. Because if you read the Gospels, there's four accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you can do is you begin to read the Gospels and you see, how did Jesus heal people? What's very interesting is that he would often choose just the power of words to heal that person. Jesus would be walking somewhere and he would see a lame person laying there. He'd say, get up and walk. You are now healed. Through the power of just his words. Another time a man comes before Jesus and he says, hey, my daughter is sick and she's in the other town. Will you heal her? She's, I have faith. Will you heal her? And Jesus says, go, she is healed. Jesus didn't even see the girl and she was healed. Another time his best friend, Lazarus, has been dead for three days. Lazarus has been dead for three days and Jesus goes before the temple where Lazarus is buried and he goes up to the temple and all he says is, Lazarus, come out. And the tomb is rolled away and Lazarus walks away. And he walks out fully healed, fully alive. And so Jesus has the power to heal people simply with his words. So why did he reach out and touch the man? Because here's what I believe is that the leper didn't just need healing for the disease, but he needed love for his rejection. The leper needed healing for his disease. He needed that. But he didn't just need healing for the disease. Rather, he needed love for his rejection. If we were to put ourselves in that day, on that day, we would see that many of us, I believe that many people would know who this person was. They'd say, oh, that's Tom. He has the disease. And man, we're praying for Tom. And many of us would see Tom outside and we'd go, ooh, Tom, man, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm going to go walk over here, man. I don't want to be close to you. We would not be near him. And so for, it says the leprosy, people would have this for two to three years. And so imagine not getting even a high five, a, sh a handshake, maybe a hug, a pat on the back. Oh, there's something about touch 
the experience for us that we feel like loved and cared for and seen. I, I think about, it's so interesting, you look at all these videos on the news and what you'll see is these teachers who come up with all these cool handshakes for their students. Those students, if you were to ask them, they feel like their teacher sees them, accepts them, and knows who they are. They've created a specific handshake for them. And it's just a small action point, but it's showing somebody that they love them. And so how do we love the lonely? I think what we do is we, we love with touch. One of the ways that we can do that is love with touch. And again, this doesn't give us the right to invade people's personal spaces. If they're not a hugger, then don't hug them, you know? Like maybe just give them a fist bump. Maybe come up with a cool handshake, you know, something like one of these, you know, whatever it is. Uh, come up with something. Maybe give a high five. But one of the ways that we can love the lonely is through touch. Not only through that, but we also see this, that we love by listening. Love by listening. And I, I want to clarify here because I'm not meaning that we listen to solve the problem. I'm meaning that we listen with the intent to understand them. Because often what happens is my wife will come to me and she'll say, okay, here's what I'm struggling with. And I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can solve this. Mm, let me see. And I start thinking of ways to solve. And then she starts talking and I'm, and I'm already solved the problem. So I'm going, mm, wow, mm, that's hard. Here's what you should do. And I want to solve it. I didn't really listen to her. I just wanted to solve the problem. Anybody else struggle with that today? No? Okay, cool. Good, you're bold. Good, don't do, don't do it. So, uh, but what I mean there is that when we listen to people, we listen with the intent to understand them. When we ask someone, man, how are you doing? We listen with the intent to, to listen to their hardships, to listen to their joy, maybe to listen to their pain, or maybe to listen to their story, whatever it is, not so that we can jump up and say, oh, that's really cool, and wait for them to be done. Now let me tell you mine, but we listen with the intent to understand. One of the people that model this uh, really well for me is a lady that goes to our church. Her name is Kate, and Kate is uh, famous for coming up to people and saying, hey, how you doing? And they're like, I'm doing really well. And she's like, no, 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 how are you doing really and it's like, somehow when she throws that really word on, you're like, oh man, like here's how I'm doing. And it's like, you just open up and you don't know what is. All she said was the word really, but somehow how she said it was so impactful because Kate really wants to listen. I, I love it. She'll come up to me and there's times where she'll say, Philip, man, how you doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm doing good. The Lord's here today. Woo, it's Sunday. Woo, Sunday fun day. And she's like, whoa, 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 stop. But how are you really doing? She wants to stop. And she wants to listen. And she doesn't do it just on Sunday. She sometimes comes to our office during the week and she'll ask us and she'll make time. She's on a mission, but she'll stop to make time to listen to people. It's she's listening with the intent to understand. And so I think for us that when, when people ask us or begin to talk to us, we need to make sure that, man, we're listening not to solve, not to top their story, not to show, oh, cool, I listen. Now let me tell you mine. Here, carry all my baggage but to go, man, I want to listen with the intent to understand. And so how do we love the lonely? We love with touch. We love by listening. And then we love with our time. We love with our time. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest church planners to ever live, he wrote most of the New Testament. Paul gave us a prime example of what, is he, what do we mean by loving with our time. Here's what he says, and he's writing to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul says, hey, 
I love you, I care for you, church, I'm here for you, and I care for you so much. Not only did I share the gospel, which is important, and I wanna make sure you know Jesus and here's who Jesus is, but I shared with you my life as well. And so what I mean by sharing our time, by loving, by giving our time, we already acknowledge that many of us are busy, right? Like many of us, we go, man, I can't fit another meeting in. There are weeks where all of a sudden I look at my schedule and it's packed and I get a text that says, hey, can you meet? And I'm like, oh, um, how about three o'clock on Tuesday? And I try to like fit it in there. It's not what I'm, what I'm meaning. We have those means. Here's what I mean. What, one of my best friends, Grant, he, he coined this one time. I was going before him and I said, Grant, I, I don't really know. Here's my schedule. I'm trying to like love people and meet them where they're at. And I just feel like I can't ever do it enough. And here's what he challenged me with. He said, rather than add someone to your calendar, include someone in your calendar. Hey, we all have those meetings and rather than just adding somebody and say, cool, I'll I'll add you to another meeting, why not include them in your calendar? He's like, you know you're gonna eat eventually, right? I was like, yeah, I'm probably gonna eat. Cool, why don't you eat with someone? Like tell them, hey, I'm going to get Chipotle after lunch or after my meeting, you wanna go with me to lunch? And including them in your calendar. One of the people that modeled that really well for me was, uh, I had a mentor named John, and uh, John, I lived in Dallas at the time, I was 17 years old, and John was 26, and he led a nonprofit ministry, and I went to John, and I said, John, man, I wanna be mentored by you. John, I just, I look at you, and you walk with God, I wanna learn from you, and he's like, hey man, I'm really busy, and as soon as he said busy, I remember I was like, ah, you're right, you're right, my bad, I shouldn't have asked you, I know, and I started like making excuses for him. And John was like, hold on, let me finish my sentence here. He's like, I'm really busy, but hey, here's my calendar. Why don't you figure out where you can fit in? Why don't you come to anything? And I was like, what? He's like, anything you want, just let me know. And I was like, looked at his calendar and I was like, well, what's this meeting with this pastor? And he's like, oh, why don't you come find out? What is this meeting with praying over the city? Why don't you come out? What's this meeting with the mayor? Why don't you come on? What's this date night? Nope, you can't come to that. I was like, okay, cool. Like, and he, he set the boundaries of when I could and when I couldn't. He had the option to include me or the option to not. But John modeled for me, man, like I can include people in my calendar. And as I began to think about it, I was like, I was like, John, like, why do you do this? He's like, I'm just like Jesus. I mean, and we began to talk and we realized if we were thinking about someone who's busy, Jesus is the most busy person. He was the busiest. Jesus lived on this earth, had to heal people, perform miracles. He fed 5,000 one week. The next week he fed 7,000. Then he's like, he's going along from town to town. He's raising his best friend from the dead. Oh, and he ultimately had to save the entire world at one point. Like, I mean, the guy's busy. And so Jesus then, what does he do? He includes 12 men into his life. Countless times you'll read the Gospels and you'll see that Jesus would be walking and he walks into a field and he goes, hey, consider the lilies and consider the birds of the air. Just as God cares for them, just realize that God cares for you more. He's teaching them as they walk. It wasn't like Jesus said, okay, hey, meet me in the lily behind the oak tree, you know, at three o'clock. Yeah, then we'll, I'll teach you a lesson about like how God cares for us. No, it wasn't like that. It was as they went. Jesus would go to town and he'd go on a boat. Jesus is Jesus. He could have said, no, Sakas, you guys alone. Like, he, you know, he brought them along. He included them in and he said, okay, hey, why don't we go together? There were times where Jesus would go pray and he would invite the disciples with him and he taught them how to pray. And so how do we, how, how do we love the lonely? Well, I think we need to love it through our time. We need to look at our calendar and go, okay, man, who can I include? 
Maybe there's somebody already around us that we know that we need to include. And it's simply saying, sending out a text or sending out a message and saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna like, man, have dinner tomorrow night. Why don't you come on? Or hey, I gotta run errands. I don't know if you'd wanna go to the store with me. Like one time, I, a true example, I had a guy uh, I was mentoring named Ryan and, and I was like, Ryan, I gotta go like run some honeydews. Like, you know, I gotta go like change the oil. I gotta do all this. Can I go? I was like, sure. And then it led to like great conversations. I wasn't intentional. It wasn't like, I was like, ooh, I just included it in my calendar and something amazing happened. And so for us, how are we gonna love the lonely? We need to include people in our calendar. What we need to do is that we do that just like Jesus. And so here's what I'm saying is that, man, we're all called to love our neighbors. I think many of us know that. We just want, struggle with the how. And this series, our hope is that we've been walking through and how do we do that? And today, as we look at, there's just practical steps for us to follow in obedience. To go, okay, I'm going to extend a high five. I'm going to extend some grace to someone. I'm just going to, uh, you know, give them maybe a, a warm hug. Maybe I'm be like, yeah, come here, brother, a big hug, like a bear hug. Or maybe you're just going to give them a high five, a cool handshake. Or maybe you're going to invite somebody into your calendar and say, you know what? Man, here's my calendar. Find out what you want. And we have the right to say no or yes. One of my all-time favorite movies uh, it's in my top 10. Uh, it stars Bill Murray. It came out in 1991. It's called What About Bob? Yeah, uh, yeah. What About Bob? I got a few fans. What About Bob is, is, is one of my favorite movies. Bob suffers, suffers with multiple phobias, one of those being uh, that he is afraid that he's going to die alone and be alone. So the entire movie, he's lonely. He's trying to find this. And uh, it's pretty funny, a movie, because Bob, what he does is he, he takes everything literal. When somebody gives him advice, it's like literal. He takes it. Uh, and so at one point he goes to this therapist and his name is Dr. Leo Marvin. And he goes to Dr. Leo Marvin and he says, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. I have all these things. I don't know what to do. How do I handle this? And Dr. Marvin just released a brand new book and he kind of walks Bob through it. And so rather than explaining it, why don't you just take a look at this? Baby steps. It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. Baby step around the office. Baby steps. Like I love it. It's like baby steps. Why do I play that clip? Well, because sometimes when we think about loving our neighbor and how to neighbor, it can be overwhelming. Think about all the things that we have to do, but we have to remember it starts with baby steps. We literally, maybe for some of us, our baby step would be to walk down the driveway, like as a, you know, like a baby steps, or maybe just literally walk down the driveway, walk across the street, and get to know our neighbors. Maybe a baby step would say, okay, today I'm going to look at my calendar and I'm going to look at it and go, okay, where can I include someone? 
Maybe it's there's someone, a baby step would be to ask one of your coworkers or ask someone that you see at church or someone that you constantly run into and say, hey, how are you doing? And you throw the word really at the end. And the baby step might be that you just listen, not for the intent to solve, not for the intent to show, talk about your week and our problems, we all have them, but to say, man, I really wanna listen to you. Baby steps, it's what we do is we take a moment and we say, okay, I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone and be faithful. Uh, my wife and I, a baby step for us that we did just this week uh, is that we have a, we moved into our brand new neighborhood about a month and a half ago. And I've been, our, where we lived before, I wasn't really good at getting to know my neighbors, if I'm honest. Like, it, it's a struggle. Like, you know, maybe some of you are like, yeah, it's a struggle to know your neighbors. And we moved into this new neighborhood and I really wanted to be intentional of getting to know our neighbors. Well, earlier this week, uh, our neighbor on our left, they, they are the type that like, when they get home, they lift up the driveway, go in, drop the driveway door, or the garage door, driveway door, garage door, and, and they drop it, and then they stay inside, and so I never see them. And I'm always like, I know they live there. Like, obviously, they leave from time to time. The trash is always out, so they know they eat. Like, they do something. And so I, I've been wanting to get to know them. And so earlier this week, uh, they happened to be pulling up right when we did. And, of course, all the butterflies and excuses came up inside of me. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, was, I went to my wife, and I was like, okay, we're going like, to do this. And so in the car, I was like, prayed like the shortest prayer ever. I was like, give me boldness. Let's go do this. And so like we went next door. And we walk on next door and I knock on the door and uh, his name is John and John is like, hey, come on in. And I was like, wasn't expecting this. Okay. And so I like, walk in and his, his wife comes in and we start to get to know them. And they're like, oh man, hey, we'd love to get to know you as well. And they're like, well, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, uh, nothing. And, the, and so the next thing you know, last night, which is encouragement, was that what happened Tuesday. And then last night we had dinner with our neighbors. You know, all it took was a chance of, yeah, it wasn't so that I can just tell them about everything that we're doing. It was just a chance to, to love and get to know those around me. And the baby step was walking from the driveway to the next driveway. It's just a baby steps. And so I, I close with that encouragement. That we know Jesus gave us the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. And for us to do that, you know, today, we need to look around us and see that God has placed us at the place that we work for a reason. He's placed us in the neighborhood that we have for a reason. The grocery store that we go to, maybe the gym that you go to, he's placed you in that place for a reason. And he's asking us to be faithful, to, to overcome comfort zones, to overcome our fears, and through the power of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, go, okay, Jesus, I need your strength, I need your, I need your commitment, and I'm gonna step out and get to know them. And when we begin to do that, we begin to be faithful by loving people with, with, with care, and loving with listening, and loving with our time. We will begin to love the lonely and even love our neighbors.